0: An email from Charles. John, what time did you say you're going to talk about the logo? I'm not cross about the logo. I'm incandescent with rage at how the city just treats us all with contempt. The issue is far from over. There is a groundswell. If I'd had time, I'd probably play the theme from Jaws. (laughs) Along with that. Charles is not cross. Charles is incandescent with rage. Charles, I'm due to speak to Daniel Silk to get his perception of how much damage has been done to the city's brand by them changing the official brand markers um, after four o'clock. But what the heck, Rebecca Davis is in to do our weekly Plan B chat. So let me ask you, what's your sense? Is this storm in a teacup stuff, um, mountain out of a molehill, the middle class do love to moan about nothing, or... Or, uh, or something else
1: are you suggesting that the city's been damaged by the handling by the leak etc by the way it was exposed to the public or by the logo itself
0: well by the fact that it was never their intention to share the logo with the public before announcing it as a fait accompli mm. uh, I, because i mm-hmm. mm, i think I can't imagine them having come up with a logo which would have pleased the people who so cross at the moment. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't it's... know whether it's the, the sort of actual aesthetic of the mm. new logo or the manner in which this has been done.
1: At the at the media briefing when Patricia Dill had some very harsh words for journalists about the, the, the leaking of the logo and so forth, um, they were repeatedly asked, why not have a public contest? and um, especially bring it into world design capital. I mean, these ideas have been thrown out continuously. Have a competition, make it part of world design capital. But they said that they have previously had a competition, were unable to use any of the any of the, the results. Because it's not just... You, c- you can't just take a picture and t- turn anything into a logo, right? One of the reasons why they had to change the old logo is because it didn't scale well in certain sizes. Like, you couldn't make it very small, it was very fragile, and so forth.
0: Everybody in the graphic <laughs> and design industry who's contacted me, and there have been many, says that that is rubbish. <laughs> (laughs)
1: Okay. I just I just swallow what they tell me, John. Hook, line and sinker. I think that the city came off pretty poorly because from my perspective, because of how aggrieved they seemed about the Argus publishing the leak without their attendant spin. But my point was if a logo can't speak for itself, then isn't there something wrong with the logo? If you have to have it explained what every cog means, what the, you know, it seems to me that there's a deficiency in the logo, not in the interpretation.
0: And certainly there's been a deficiency in the way that the city has handled this. Um, yes, they wanted to do it on their own terms and they weren't able to do so because somebody somewhere within the DA didn't like what was going on and so leaked it to the Argus and the Argus published it and immediately within hours they should have made themselves available instead of saying we're not going to talk to you because it's going to be introduced at the council meeting next Wednesday Mm. and it's inappropriate to talk about it before it's been formally approved within hours Mm. Patricia DeLille or the designer or Yellowwood brand architects should have been offered to radio stations like this one to explain.
1: Completely agreed. And they should also not have denied so vehemently, while well, certain figures within the administration did, that it was the wrong version, as if the real version would look nothing at all like that. And then, of course, when it was revealed, it was basically identical, except for a small change in colour. So I thought that, that too, was, was, was a misstep. Rather say, you know, it's pretty pretty much it. Rather than than deny outright that it looks anything like that,
0: yeah. and, and this notion that fewer people, significantly fewer people, are going to vote for the DA on the seventh of May because they so are, are so angry with the way the city administration, which is controlled by the DA has done this i do Do not
1: believe that for a second john is that your impression
0: well that's what a lot of people are telling me my impression is that there'll be another scandal next week and Mm. within two weeks we'll go logo what logo oh has it changed oh really Mm -hmm. um but a lot of people are telling me that the damage is lasting
1: i mean to me that seems of all the scandals you could pick on to choose how to cast your vote that to me seems a pretty trifling one Especially as it's emerged that the amounts of money being spent were actually pretty negligible in the in the grand. Eight million
0: rand is not negligible. Eight, Eight million, million is rand, tender, ki- yeah. but
1: the the the. Logo only costs three hundred thousand.
0: Yes, but the implementation of it—the putting it onto cars and onto bus stop shelters—is all going to cost eight million rand. And how many toilets, decent flush toilets, can you supply with eight million rand?
1: Well, to me, the more disturbing thing was the the, the reason behind the the change in lo- in slogan, John. The change from the city that works for you to making progress possible together, because they felt the former. One was
0: passive, and we need
1: instil the culture engagement. of dependency. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very telling. Um, You know, it's my impression that a lot of people view the city of Cape Town anyway as being sort of unfeeling and tone deaf towards the plight of the city's poor residents. And in many cases that's misplaced. But to me, canning a logo because you think it encourages people to sit around waiting for handouts is not sending a particularly good message in that regard either.
0: Mm. So if if not much damage is going to be done to brand DA amongst potential DA voters ahead of May 7 how much damage is being done to brand DA by Helen Ziller and her tweeting up a storm <laughs> so often about so much because more and more this narrative is starting to stick its head above the parapets yeah. that there are supposedly significant numbers of people within the DA hierarchy that wish Helen that wish Helen would shut the tweet up <laughs> (laughs)
1: I think we always have to be careful of assuming that what happens on Twitter is in any way representative of what happens elsewhere in South Africa. Because don't forget only a small proportion of South Africans are on Twitter. A lot of people don't know anything about what's happening at Twitter at any time. Look, so the backstory being, of course, that Helen Ziller went on a rampage last weekend towards two journalists and sort of this extended personal attack, particularly against Corinne Duplessis from the city press. I mean, as a journalist, John, I found it very disturbing and quite frightening. If I've been a member of the public looking at it, the impression I would have got mainly was that, what is Zilla thinking? I don't understand. She's got three over 300,000 Twitter followers. That is a huge reach. And as I pointed out in an article earlier this week, that is more than twice the circulation of, for instance, City Press. So actually what she's got there is a very valuable political communications tool. And to use it to slag off a journalist without even specifying what the journalist has done wrong just strikes me as incredibly foolish. I mean, also sort of lacking in in self-control, to put it in in a simple way. Why not just not
0: tweet? Mm. so I mean I've no idea what the level of disquiet is within the DA because all the stories uh, that have appeared about this seeming disquiet have quoted anonymous sources Mm. and I know how easy it is to find an anonymous source who says what you want that person to say you know who are the people who have been pushed down the DA's party list so you know they're unhappy with the party hierarchy so you know if you go to them and say what do you think about Helen's uber tweeting they're going to go oh it's not so cool So, I mean it's relatively easy But, um, but I do wonder whether there is uh, there is a significant section of important opinion with the da that would like her to be less active on twitter or blander on twitter
1: i think some people find it i mean voters would find it a feeling because she also can be very responsive you know in a way that other politicians aren't she really does reply to tweets about you know a flipping pothole in your road she will st- Put you onto someone, We've done that part of it is obviously amazing. But the flip side is this knee jerk sort of anger that seems to come out some of the time. And to me, it's off putting, John. As a, as a, I mean, as well as being a journalist, I'm a potential. I mean, I'm a voter. Um, I see that, and I think, you know, this is someone who's not quite, quite in control in 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 all in all regards. And I, the fact though that she is not made to tone it down suggests to me that that there is a lot of control happening from Helen Zilla to the DA, because otherwise you would think that some political strategist would be able to take take her aside and ask her to to rethink. The fact that that's not happening suggests that there's a, there's a pretty iron grip mm. going on there to me.
0: One of the problems with our Friday conversation, Rebecca, it seems to me, is that we agree about too many things. <laughs> we, don't, we don't disagree about enough. And uh, I've tried to have a conversation a couple of times over uh, the last few days, and unfortunately each time I've tried to have the conversation, the person on the other end has been in a, an area of poor cell phone communication, so I haven't been able to have it, but about the South African response to the passing of the anti-gay law in Uganda. Mm. And pure sort of trying to understand it and talking through it, and is there a case to be made for this softly, softly approach? I mean, I I suspect that a large part of... The cabal around Jacob Zuma in the cabinet in the higher echelons of the ANC is are themselves homophobic. Mm. So uh, I think there mm. is some quiet sympathy. Uh, maybe even some, you know, thumbs half up for what Uganda has done. But I'm sure there are also significant numbers of people within the ANC who are horrified by what Uganda and Nigeria have done. Mm. So why don't they say so? So I think to myself, well, they don't say so because They know that even privately they're not going to manage to get Yoweri Museveni to change his mind. But maybe they know that within the AU there's a lot of sympathy for what Uganda has done, a lot of approval for what Uganda has done. And if they want South Africa to be a significant player in African politics and they want to move other agendas, they do need the support of other African countries. Mm. And if they are the ones who get onto a soapbox about gay rights in Uganda, they lose the ability to do that, so their ability to influence the continent's politics for the better disappears. You're not looking impressed by my devil's advocate argument.
1: My my question with the softly softly approach, which is what the ANC is claiming that the, rather than go in their guns blazing and tell Uganda what to do, that they're taking this backroom diplomacy route, is who exactly is doing this backroom diplomacy? Because we all know who the Ugandan ambassador, the South African ambassador to Uganda is. And that
0: is John Kwilani, yes,
1: one of the most notorious homophobes in the land. So it strikes me as implausible that Mr. Kailani is going is going around trying to fix things for Ugandan gays, while we know his track record on the subject. Who then is doing this this backroom diplomacy? Surely it would fall to him in his role.
0: You, you yeah. would expect that Durko's man on the ground, mm. <laughs> Durko's chilling, resident homophobe. Chilling,
1: would, a chilling thought.
0: You were in, let's have tea and talk about the Ugandans and gays. Can right. imagine that conversation?
1: Right, exactly.
0: So, I mean, I, for me, I just would like South Africa every now and then. And I know it's easy for me to say because I'm not involved in real politics, but I'd love them just to stand up and say, this is completely and utterly wrong. This right. is so dissonant. With the values that are embedded in our constitution, and we are trying in this country, imperfectly, to build a society which is in accord with those, yeah, those I mean, principles. And what Uganda is doing and what Nigeria has done is so dissonant that we have to say so loudly.
1: Right, and I mean, I'm sure this point has been made by. Other people you've spoken to about this, John. But the point is that they do, they have on occasion taken stances, firmer stances about human rights issues. Nelson Mandela said in 1993 that human rights should be the hallmark, the cornerstone, the fundament of international relations. I mean, that's from Mandela's own mouth. And you know, just last year, The um, Durko minister told Kasati that Palestine was keeping her up at night, that um, they decided to cool things off with Israeli diplomats here. If they can be relatively outspoken about Israel-Palestine, I fail to see why they can't do it about the African
0: homophobia. Because um, they know that their approach to Israel-Palestine is consonant with the views of many of the people in their voting pool who think about these matters, and the same is not true of Uganda and homophobia.
1: Well, that's a depressing thought, don't It is. I mean, I think you're probably right. But um, if so, I mean, the problem also is that Uganda is now positioning itself as this sort of, um, forget about the homophobia, just in terms of this in its steadfast refusal to listen, to bow to the this sort of positioning itself as this kind of heroic anti-imperialist kind of, you know, David standing up to Goliath, which unfortunately is a sort of compelling narrative, I can imagine, for a lot of people on the continent, quite aside from Mm. the, the issues at hand.
0: This is the last Plan B, I think, for a while, and that is because Rebecca is leaving Cape Town for a few weeks. How many weeks? We're not exactly sure, because she is going to be, as of Monday morning, covering the Oscar Pistorius murder trial for the Daily Maverick, and you're heading up to Johannesburg after you finish this chat with me. You suggested that there is a sort of, um, how best to put it, a there is a sort of holier-than-thou, sanctimonious approach um, manifesting itself amongst people probably like me who say, how dare you be this interested in the Oscar Pistorius trial?
1: Mm. I've observed this this week. There's a strange kind of, well, to me it's strange, the sort of stigma attached to admitting that you want to follow the Oscar Pistorius trial closely. And I genuinely am surprised by it because to me it is perfectly self-evident that this is an interesting case. I think it is an interesting case and I think it's perfectly possible to acknowledge that while admitting that there are a hundred more important things happening every minute and while bemoaning the fact that many other more important and as brutal cases never make it to court as quickly and efficiently. We can acknowledge all that while still finding Oscar Pistorius' trial interesting. And I do think there's a certain, I don't know what it is, if it's intellectual snobbery or or what, quite what it is that that people are sort of adopting... In this regard, which I find interesting. I also think they're lying, John, to be frank. I think that people pretend that they aren't going to be following it with interest, and yet the ratings are going to tell a very different story, I can guarantee. That's exactly what happened with the bail hearing.
0: Despite the fact that uh, the trial is going to be nowhere near as interesting as the bail hearing and nowhere near as interesting as Silk and LA Law and whatever the contemporary <laughs> manifestations of American courtroom drama are. I mean, a lot of a lot of the trial is going to be as dry as dust as a forensic pathologist and a ballistics expert Mm. and a blood spatter expert refer to diagrams and use phrases like gamma y butyric acid
1: (laughs) that's a good one john no no doubt i'm sure that there are bits of the the trial that are going to be deathly boring and i'm not looking forward to that at all myself but um, no my point is simply that i think that a lot of people evincing this sort of attitude of goodness no i've got no interest in that um, will perhaps be be tuning in every now and then, despite
0: despite what they have to say about it. Yeah, I mean, my, my view is that I'm very interested. I, I am in, I'm fascinated by what might have happened on that night, mm-hmm. and I've, I've taken listeners to task for telling me with complete conviction that he. Absolutely, definitely, without doubt, thought there was an intruder behind the door. And others who tell me with the same level of conviction that, of course, he knew it was Reva behind the door. Mm. And I don't know how, I don't know on the basis of what they come to that early determination. Mm. And the most interesting trial, part of the trial for me is, well, the two bits that I probably will be following very closely. The rest, um, I, I'm interested. I will want to know the major develops, but I'm not going to. I, I'm not on Twitter. I certainly won't be watching it on television. But I will want to know mm. two or three times a day what have been the key developments in that day. But it's Oscar himself on the stand. I, and if, it's, he if he
1: testifies.
0: If he testifies, I suspect he will. And it's such a pity that that's not being televised because I, I'd love to see his face. I'd love to see his body language. I, and, and then the judgment. Mm. Mr. Pistorius, I find you guilty of murder. Mr. Pistorius, I find you not guilty of murder, Mm. you know? Wow.
1: It's going to be, uh, you know, apart from anything else, and I don't mean this to sound flippant, it's going to be sort of an amazing theatre that moment, I think. Yeah. Yeah, hugely significant.
0: And what do you think of the media coverage of it and the potential media? Because that's what causes me disquiet. Uh, You know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's... It's archaic to expect there not to be this level of salaciousness Mm. and prurience and... And mm, licking your lips, ooh, can't wait for the next bit of scandal to emerge. The notion that this could be done in a dispassionate, objective, purely legal, forensic way is ridiculous. So <laughs> is. why do I want it?
1: I hope readers I hope aren't expecting that from me, John. Goodness, they'll be in for a shock. Um, um, one of my objections to the media coverage has been the, the descriptions of Reva Steenkamp ongoing. The Sunday Times last week called her a blonde stunner, which seems to me to be the most inappropriate way of referring to A dead woman that I can even think of.
0: And you know. But this was a woman who, when she was alive, made a living out of her looks and was very happy to be portrayed as a stunner and with very little clothing on. To
1: me, that does not give a legitimate justification for continuing to objectify her in death, John. I don't know. I don't believe it does. Look, the media coverage also has, in several cases, been just flat out inaccurate. You might recall that um, the Pistorius family actually went to the press ombudsman. In July, I think last year, after City Press – no, sorry, after a report, in fact, published a story about how he'd been seen – Pistorius had been seen at an Audi dealership buying a fancy car with a woman who they insinuated was his new girlfriend, who it turned out was a cousin. He hadn't bought the, the car in question, and, you know, their their complaint was upheld. So I do feel that the, that the coverage of Pistorius has been – Negative. There have been attempts to to paint him consistently in the years since the bail hearing, as a a party boy, as a you know sort of unreformed, callous. And in fact, there's research to back this up because Media mm-hmm. Tenor just reviewed 105,000 or something TV news broadcasts, and found that whereas in the beginning, Pistorius was painted as an athlete who stumbled, now increasingly he's portrayed as a criminal, before all the comparisons were to other athletes who'd, who'd, who'd done bad, like Tiger Woods, um, Lance Armstrong, and now increasingly the comparisons are just with other bog-standard criminals, which is interesting, I
0: think. I, I can genuinely say, hand on heart, that I have no firm opinion on his guilt or innocence. Can you say the same?
1: No. <laughs> but I will do my best to not let it... Colour my coverage, obviously, John.
0: Are you prepared to tell me what you think?
1: I think that he, that that I think that he sh- sh- shot through the door in a fit of rage without considering his actions, but that he did not genuinely consider that there was an. So you intruder.
0: believe that he knew that it was Reva and not an intruder. I do, John,
1: but I fully admit I have absolutely nothing to go by on this. Other than so what, what the
0: makes you, you come to that?
1: Various facts to do with the layout of the room, the fact that it seems implausible to me that he could collect a gun from the side of the bed where Reva was lying and not notice her absence, just the fact of being allegedly so scared but not checking where your loved one was before you went to investigate, that to me is, it just doesn't ring intuitively true. The recent revelation also that security guards may have phoned and he claimed all was fine. Initially.
0: Well, It's not a revelation. It's an allegation. An
1: allegation. Until sorry, it's been... Quite so. testified
0: to and cross-examined on Quite it's so. only a media report
1: if 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 confirmed that struck me also as rather damaging but who knows i'm perfectly perfectly happy to have my opinion changed in the course of the trial and i've no doubt it will as very skillful lawyers will you know be manipulating us from either side
0: and uh, as part of my keeping contact with what's going on in the trial i certainly will be checking in every day to see what rebecca has written on the daily mm-hmm. maverick.co.za, and you, uh, look forward to chatting to you thanks for coming in this afternoon thanks john